we're all searching for the universal formula to solve all problems. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show, the show that helps you raise the bar and thrive in your aesthetics career. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Miranda Pierce. And what are we talking about today, Miranda? Okay, it's a corona-free zone, and we're going to be talking about Botox patterns, because it's something that comes up a lot on the Skin Viva Trainee Network, our closed Facebook group. And it's, I think people want there to be a rote way to learn it, but I don't think there is. So I'm going to have, I want to dive into your brain and, and pull out the best way to do Botox. Yeah. I mean, absolutely right. You are completely right. And it's actually not just around Botox that we have this problem. This is how minds work in general, which is we're all searching for the universal formula to solve all problems. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. What you need are universal principles to adjust each problem uh, really uniquely. So th this is what you realize as you go forward. When I first started, I was just like everyone else. I want to know where to place the five injections so I can do the same on everyone <laughs> and they'll all get the same lovely result. <laughs> just tell me. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, you soon discover that there might be an average face that you can actually get a get away with. Like if you if you treat only average faces, you there is actually a universal formula. But unfortunately, your formula will completely fall apart as soon as you meet someone who's who's just a little bit either side of average, which is more than fifty percent of people, probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's dive in. So, what what's the crack with the licensed dose versus unlicensed dose? Yeah. So the license is actually a really good way of understanding what's actually going on in terms of average average faces, because what the license is is a a pattern of injection that will suit the average face and give you a consistent result. It may not necessarily even be the best possible result for the average face, but it's a consistent result. They want to create consistent, predictable results so that they can say to the FDA, here's my um, product. This is what it does. We've tested it. 3% of people, it didn't do what we said. 97% of people did exactly what, what it said. So, And they'll look at that and say, that's a good ratio. You've got a good, nice result. We'll, we'll give you that license. And off you go and you teach everyone to do the same injection pattern because on 97% of people or whatever it is, um, you will get the result that, that your product is saying it will provide. This FDA approval, the licensing dose, have they been conservative? No, well, possibly. Possibly they've been generous too because it means you use more of their product. Right. So um, it's because actually that's something we should talk about with the forehead, which is I think the forehead Botox dose is actually relatively high compared with what I use. Um, I can get really good, and I have been for 10, 11 years now, 12 years, I've been getting really good results using less than what the license dose says that you should use. So that's that's worth knowing because um, really what we want is to be able to operate in our clinic well and safely. Um, you don't necessarily have to use what the product says. And probably the license says up to 20 units, I would have thought anyway. Mm. Um, but it, but the way that you're taught is five injections of four units, which is 20 uh, okay. in each area. Okay. So that's the license that when do we start to differ from the license? So f first thing is you've got to remember that the license dose is quite specific. So if you're thinking about the license dose for forehead, it's to soften lines. There is no mention of an eyebrow lift. So as soon as you meet someone who wants their eyebrows lifting, your license dose no longer applies. So when do we differ from the license dose? So it's important to know that the license dose, um, 
is is quite specific for what it's for. So it will say to soften lines and wrinkles. What it doesn't say is to also lift the eyebrow slightly or um, you know to avoid making the cheek look a bit saggy. You know, it's it's all sorts of things that are nuanced on either side of the license dose that are worth worth knowing about. Um, so. I would say the average client that I treat actually doesn't get exactly the license, but we're pretty close to it. So I'm in the in the same bell ballpark, but there are little adjustments I make to make sure that the individual gets the best result possible because the license is really for the average of individuals and each person that you see is actually a unique individual. So it's it's like so many things, like even seatbelts are a good example. Um, they're actually built, it's, it's kind of one of these things that's used to illustrate um, systemic sexism, if you believe in that. But it's that they're all built around the male crash, du- crash test dummy. A 70 kilogram male is the physiological male. And for some reason, they focus more on that, which means there are a lot of um, lot of cases where it doesn't quite fit the individual. Really, if you were to have a, a really safe car, you'd have your seatbelt and your seat position adjusted by an expert and tested for each individual shape. Now, mm-hmm. we can't do that manufacturing cars, but you can do that in your clinic with treatments. You should be adjusting your treatment strategy for the individual in front of you, not just giving a blanket same treatment for everyone. Okay. So what kind of things would adjust, what kind of factors and variables would make you adjust it? If you think about foreheads, they're probably the most variable area and they're the most difficult area because unlike um, you know, treating with the bellow, you're trying, you're just trying to freeze that muscle from working. They're basically you've got three muscles. You basically relax all of them and you get, and that's all it takes to stop from someone from frowning. With the forehead, it's really different because there's actually, it's actually one of the, one of the muscles where we actually want to just treat partially some of the muscle and leave the other half of the muscle functioning in some way. So you need a little bit of muscle activity to support the eyebrows and give you some movement. If you get rid of all of it, you can get a brow ptosis. So what we have then is a line between treated and untreated muscle. And where that line is placed, where that line runs is, is really crucial. And a very small difference makes a big difference in the results. So eyebrow asymmetry, if you think about an injection on either side, but there's a half a centimeter difference, which looks like nothing. You met you as the untrained eye would not spot it on treatment design. But what you get is the patient coming back three weeks later saying, look, when I raise my eyebrow, one goes up a centimeter more than the other one, which is crucial. Like that's a really obvious difference. You need to be able to make these little adjustments uh, in order to accommodate for individuals' faces. If you look at the, the licenses, there are two licenses for the forehead. There's one for Bocature and one for uh, Botox and they are the Botox one in particular is quite heavy in terms of dosages so you're putting four units in five different places a four unit dose is relatively strong for the forward I usually use about one unit for individual injection points but I spread them out a bit more so I might use a close to the same amount of, of product but I'm I'm spreading it out it's more what's the word is a higher resolution to my treatment than the four unit dose because a four unit dose if you're half a centimeter over to one side, you're actually knocking out a whole section more frontalis muscle and leaving a bit on the other side of it because you're so much in one spot. Mm. So this this issue makes it harder for for the for the new clinician whose resolution in terms of understanding the face isn't quite as detailed is that a few millimeters make a big difference. So this is where it can become easier to separate your injections and to put more injections in more places because you're you're spreading things a little bit more over it and your inaccuracies are blended. You can okay. be able to blend it in a bit better. And we should say that we have an amazing download for you guys to accompany this show, which is Tim has, it's literally, it's phenomenal. It has pictures of celebrities and everything with their foreheads. And it's the 26 essential injection patterns for Botox. So if you go to the description below, you can download that there. 
So tell me then if I, so I've, I'm, I've got the patient in front of me. Um, I'm in the process of making the decision about where I put them. What can you recommend that I can physically do to this person to help me make that decision and lay out the patterns? Well, you need to, first of all, it's all about, starts with the history. What does the patient actually want? Everything we, we always say, the real transformation is the psychological transformation for the patient. So that means what is their story? What do they want you to achieve? Now, um, with that will come something like, uh, oh, I feel tired all the time. Uh, even though I'm not tired, I look tired. Then you're obviously gonna, more likely to need an eyebrow lift. So an eyebrow lift is immediately changing your, inje- your injection strategy from removing lines and wrinkles. Um, now, obviously, too much of an eyebrow lift might cause lines that make them unhappy. Um, so you're, you're Im- immediately in this whole world of nuance, right? As opposed to here's my standard injection pattern. So then you need to start to apply certain principles to that patient, knowing what you know about the, the product characteristics and knowing what you know about their anatomy and the interaction between the two, because really what we're talking about is an interaction between Botox and the ana- and the anatomical picture. Um, you need to vary what you understand so that it as close as possible matches that patient. So I'll give you an example of one of the foundation principles would be how far does the product spread for each injection? So if you, most people would say around one and a half to two centimeters in the forehead, you'll get spread around the point. So um, that immediately tells you where you need to pay, place products in order to relax the muscle. The next question would be how much of that muscle do you actually want to relax because we need to leave some muscle functioning so that you don't get a brow ptosis. You need to leave even more muscle functioning if you want an eyebrow lift. Um, and these, these things then need to become part of your treatment plan because you're then deciding. I always say one of the key things is for the forehead is deciding where you're not going to inject first. Because once you know where you're not going to inject, it's actually quite easy to, to put to do to do your treatment plan. You then fill the area that you know you want to relax with product that fills about one to two centimeters per position, um, and you you can kind of think of it the area that you do want to relax almost like a little it's like a little glass that you want to fill with marbles. Each marble is one and a half to two mm. centimeters, and you're basically filling that and leaving the rest untreated. Uh, and that's quite a good way of breaking the stages down. What makes it a lot easier is if you decide to plan plan a journey. So I'm going to relax this section first, make sure they don't get a brow drop and then add a bit more, for example, is a better way of doing it than saying, I really don't want a Spock brow. So I'm going to put a little bit of Botox above your eyebrow, above everyone's eyebrow, because what you get instead of, you will avoid all the Spock brows, but you'll also get a percentage of people who get a brow ptosis that wouldn't have had that. And and you're a bit more stuck with a brow ptosis than you are with a Spock brow, because a Spock brow you can soften two weeks later. So think of it as a journey, and we're trying to find the safest journey from A to B. We're not trying to get there in one go, mm. especially with a new client. Once you know their face, then you can then you can repeat. You can do the same each time, but you just don't want to um, take an un- uh, try and do it too quickly and end up with a side effect that you could easily have avoided if you'd taken a safer journey. Do you how how would you would you mark up? What do you do for Botox? Yeah. So f- first thing, have a look at their face. Get, ask them to move in all the muscles around the area that might be treated. So not just the, the area they want to treat. Ask them to do frown, raise eyebrows up, smile. Why? So that you can see the interaction between the muscles. I'll give you one example, which is the orbicularis oculi muscle. If that's really strong and you overtreat the forehead, it's quite likely to contribute to a ptosis. So it'll actually pull the eyebrows down. I learned this early on with uh, someone who was actually very afraid of looking over-treated. So we went really low dose in the forehead, only four units, which is nothing. Like the licensed dose is 20. And she got a brow ptosis and I couldn't believe it. When When I went to go and examine her afterwards, this is my learning experience, and she smiled, I realized why. She had really strong orbicularis oculi muscles. So the balance between the lifting force, orbicularis, 
sorry, the uh, frontalis muscle and the depressing force, which is mainly orbicularis oculi, was basically slanted in the way of down. So she got a brow ptosis with a low dose because her downward muscles were very strong. So as soon as you know the balance between the muscles, you can start to vary your treatment to make sure that you're maintaining harmony. So how would you go about marking up? So marking up is a process of combining the history and examination. You want to be um, remembering what they've told you about what they actually want and then applying that to the anatomy in front of you. So I would like an eyebrow lift. You then start out by marking out the risky areas. So where do you not want to inject for all the areas? We want to leave, for example, one to one and a half to two centimeters from the orbital rim. Um, and then you want to mark out the areas that might cause a brow ptosis. So there's a central component of your forehead that might cause a drop if you inject in it. Um, there's the more lateral component. If you want an eyebrow lift, you need to leave the lateral muscle untreated. So we're first deciding where we don't want to inject. Then we're relating that to the history, the actual result the patient wants and you're trying to design a treatment that will relax exactly the right amount of muscle to get the treatment that you want with minimal risk and leaving room for a potential follow-up. What about different sized foreheads? I have quite a big forehead. What about people who have big and small? Yeah, well, we were, we were talking about this. For some reason, people tend to notice forehead. I know you, you're saying, um, I can never remember which is which. Anton deck. Deck, deck off of Anton Deck. Yeah, Deck's got a big forehead. Yeah, you could remember. No, it. no, no, it's Ant. It's Ant. Sorry. Exactly. It's hard. It's impossible. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, they're both forwards get, or everyone's, all men's forward get bigger as they lose hair as well as they recede. But certainly, um, which one is it? Deck. Deck is. No, Ant. Ant. <laughs> Ant has, got, has famously got a big forehead. And you could compare him to who's the other celebrity with a small forehead who we were talking about? Small forehead. Yeah. Zayn Malik off of One Direction. Yeah. So. If you just look at their two forwards, I'm sure uh, David will get these two up together. So you can look at those two faces and see that you can't treat them the same. One has got a lot more floor space, so to speak, a bigger deck. <laughs> bigger ant. A bigger ant. Um, and you're going to have to use a, a, you If you think the product spreads one and a half centimeters or so, you're going to need more to cover the same area. Right. So uh, this immediately changes things. And this is why forwards are quite a good example of why you can't use a standard formula because there's such huge variation. Well, I'm sure David will show a few more pictures of um, some some varieties of forehead. That, that's just a barn door clear indication that you need to be nuanced in your treatment. Um, but but yeah, that's the key thing. You need more in bigger foreheads and bigger muscles. The mm -hmm. other interesting thing about men is they tend to have a different shape frontalis and they often have a muscle that goes much higher up. So if you... You often get this in the beginning when people first start practicing as they mainly see women because 90% of the market is women and they will leave the upper triangle and then men get these little horns um, mm. that come out and you end up um, having to follow them, more of them up and they're a little bit grumpy when they come back because they've had these weird pulls at the top. Yeah, okay. So jumping off that then, follow-ups, tell us your thoughts about how, let's take it from this angle, what how can you learn from your follow-ups? If you in the habit, as I train all our trainees to do, is of taking a picture of your treatment plan before you do the treatment. So mark out, then take a picture, then do the treatment. When they come back, you've got a beautiful way of finding out exactly what one unit or four units does in their face. And that will give you the ability to make adjustments and to learn really quickly exactly the interaction between what you're doing and the result. Because the hardest thing about Botox is that you don't get the result straight away. So dermal filler, you inject, you get the result you want, or you don't get the result, and then you try again. With Botox, there's a two-week lag time. So you've got to do something, then see what happens, and then learn from it. And it takes the learning process is a 100 times harder if you don't know exactly what you did. So take a picture, then compare the result, and then um, 
you can also then combine the two together so you end up with two treatment plans that you combine into one because your follow-up plus your original treatment is basically one treatment plan and that can reduce your follow-up rates saves you time in your clinic you should be able to get your treatment your follow-up rate right down to like 10 to 15 percent yeah, it's interesting. I've seen a few different clinicians describe this in different ways. Um, one of our clinicians, I remember when she came on board with us at Skin Viva, she was a bit like, dudes, you're doing a lot of follow-ups. Do you really need to be doing this? Are you being too cautious in the first go? But then I have heard other clinicians, and I'm sure a drug rep said to me once, oh, you know, follow-ups are good because you get an opportunity to kind of bond with the client more and you can maybe, you know, um, talk about other treatments and stuff. What do you think about follow-ups? Well, it depends how you look at it. Um, from a purely business perspective, follow-ups are footfall and people coming back to your clinic to see you again, you can, you're probably, you're, you're kind of indoctrinating people into, into visiting you frequently. Um, on the other side of that, no one wants to waste their time. And if you have, if you're coming back repeatedly and not get anything for it, most clients will just stop coming back for the follow-up unless they get value from it. There are other clients who don't need a follow-up who get habitualized into yes. it and will come up no matter what. No matter how how much you tweak the first treatment, they always come back. And there's also a compulsion on clinics to validate their effort that they've gone through and just do a little tweak. And you can train people to come back and there's ultimately very little value in it. So talk to me about the crow's feet. So uh, crow's feet, uh, otherwise called lateral canthal lines, are the lines that come off laterally to your uh, to your eye um, and they are associated with obviously with smiling but obviously they're aging as well so um, we need to sometimes treat them in certain patients and it should improve fine lines around the eyes the interesting thing about crow's feet is that you can get rid of lines but also i think it's one of the areas that's hard that's most easy to make someone look basically botoxed mm. um, because but in a subtle way so it's not the kind of area that um that you look frozen but you change the dynamic of the face in a way that people who know you well can can detect. Um, and certainly we've experienced yeah. that. I think the first time you had a treatment, um, I always joke that I, the first thing I felt is that you weren't laughing at my jokes. And quite <laughs> <laughs> um, so then that creates a, an element of doubt every time you crack a really funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get the response you want. Yeah. Um, so uh, so that, that, but that's kind of subtle. The patient almost never notices that. So I've become increasingly careful when I'm consulting people to bring in this dynamic of, um, you know, let's think about your face as a functioning unit, not, not necessarily just as a place where wrinkles come and need to be stamped out. Because uh, the ideal result is a balance where you have expression, but you don't get lines. Um, the crucial thing for me, I think, is you need to be able to see narrowing of the white part of your eye um, while you smile. If you get a complete stunning, so it's almost like if, if you had a something covering this part of the face and they smile and you can't see it, then you've overtreated yeah. it because it's kind of a soul, a soulless smile. Earlier, you said that the frown line was the most sort of simple to treat. So, what would you say about that? So, frown lines are probably the simplest to treat because you're just you're just making a the entire muscle group still. So, unlike orbicularis oculi and the frontalis muscle, where you're actually only relaxing part of the muscle, the uh, the corrugator complex can be completely relaxed. So you're treating procerus, the the corrugator supercilii, and the depressor supercilii. And all of those can be made still without causing uh, anything noticeable. So even an expert, unless they say frown for me, they won't be able to tell. Whereas um, because of the other expressions like eyebrow movements, the best example, we tend to use our eyebrows almost constantly when we're talking. That flicker of there's something going on in my mind, mm -hmm. um, this processing going on, that's what we're detecting with eyebrow movement. And so if you completely still it, particularly if someone is... Um, 
particularly for people who know them well, they might think they're not thinking in the same way. And it, I don't think it always creates, um, basically like, like people don't always notice it consciously, but I think it might create a sense of uncertainty with people that they're not reacting in the same way. Uh, I certainly remember right at the beginning of my career meeting someone who, um, I had the sense that I couldn't trust them. Yes. Um, and with that person, it turned out that I couldn't trust them. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, but, but I also remember thinking, is this just the Botox that's confusing me because I can't read them? What about bunny lines? They're a little annoying thing. Yeah. So that, um, they seem to come on when you treat other areas of the face, they get worse. So if you treat the orbicularis oculi, often the medial part of the face gets more active. Um, and that's, that's something to do with the ability of toxin or the, the basically the, your ner nervous system responds by putting more effort into the places that are untreated. So it can happen with frown lines and with crow's feet that when people smile after the treatment, they actually have, they actually have these new lines which developed as a Botox look. And you often see people who think they look Botox. That's one of the key giveaways. Um, so you can reduce the effect of it maybe by using less. You're maintaining balance. So putting less around orbicularis oculi might cause less uh, lines on the nose, or you can just treat the little lines on the nose as well. Um, I kind of think of them almost as if the orbicularis oculi is going all the way around the nose. I know some of it's probably nasalis, um, but the level of the muscle is relatively superficial and it seems to behave like one unit. So um, I inject really superficially. And you, the, the crucial thing with bunny lines is you want to be really careful not to affect the lip elevators. That's one of the worst side effects of bunny lines. If you treat a little bit inferior laterally, um, then you might affect the muscles that elevate the lip and you get, often it's asymmetrical. So when they smile afterwards, one side goes up and the other side still, it's an awful side effect. So thank you so much for watching. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can get more information from the detailed download. Remember, it's in the links below. Um, and uh, we love your comments. Let us know what you think. Um, we'll add them into the next show. If there's anything interesting, we might even do a whole show about it. You never know. But uh, do let us know what you think and if we can help you in any way. Don't forget as well that this Aesthetics Mastery show goes out as a podcast. So we are available on any of the normal podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. So if you want to listen to us on your commute or in the bath or whatever, you are welcome. And please do drop us a like and a subscription. It really helps us to know that you guys are enjoying this. And if not, let us know as well. We can always improve. Thanks for watching. Take care. <laughs>